You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name's Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm the campus pastor at Rail City Campus. And uh, I was struck today by how cool it is that we are a church in three locations on a Sunday. And I got to kind of experience that uh, in a new way as I was here for the 9.30 service and then darted down to Rail City for the commissioning of our uh, Chiapas missions team. And now I'm back up here with you. And I just thought, how amazing every Sunday in the Tri-Cities that, you know, we're, our church is just resounding praise in every corner of this uh, location and region. And how cool is that? Can we celebrate that together? It's so cool. I want to uh, quickly report that uh, Jesus is still building his church. He's doing it here at Mariner. He's doing it at Town Center, but we're also experiencing it at Rail City. As we're seeing, we move from Moody Middle School to the Inlet Theater. And with that move, there's been just like a influx of all sorts of new people, people who are considering the faith, people who are coming back to church for the first time, uh, and people who just want to do church in their city, in their own backyard. And it's been so, so encouraging uh, to see what God is doing there. And so I just want to say thank you off the top. I know many of you have prayed for us. You have given towards it. Some of you have sent your kids and your grandkids or your friends to come with us. And for that, I just want to say thank you to you, the Sending Church. Can we give it up for one another? So good. Well, if you are new or you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Witness. We've been exploring the book of Acts. Uh, and uh, the book of Acts, really, it's like the old family photo albums or the VHS, right, that tells the old tales of how things were back then, you know? And, uh, you know, we're, we're not coming out of the Christmas season, but we have passed the Christmas season. And it's usually that time of year, you put in the old family VHSs, you look at the family photos. Oh, do you remember when? Oh, do you remember when it was like this? Oh, yeah, we used to do that. Oh, yeah, we used to have a real Christmas tree. Now we have this fake one, right? All these kind of things. And you can look at the traditions and the things and see the family members and see how things were. This is what the book of Acts is. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended back to the Father. The Spirit of God fell on the people of God. They went out and began to share this message the message of the gospel, the message of the good news with anyone who would listen, but specifically in the beginning to the Jews. So they went around from city to city sharing the word of God with the Jews and many were coming to faith. Then this guy named Paul comes to faith. Now his name was Saul before he was Paul. He saw a great light, similar to my experience right now. Uh, and, uh, and, he, and Jesus came to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had a transformative moment. He gave his life to faith and then he gave his life to missions. Not just reaching the Jews, but going into the Gentile world. That is those who do not believe. And so we say, thank you, Paul, because the message came to us. Uh, and uh, today... We are going to see this missionary, this pastor, this apostle, his name is Paul, go to the ancient city of Athens. Now, if you were to go to the ancient city of Athens today, you would be struck uh, probably by the elevated temple of Athena. You can see a picture here. Uh, and just to show hands, how many of you guys have been to Athens? Okay, like a third of the room, okay? So you probably saw this and, and experienced this. Now, this is a, just a picture of the past. 
Athens in that day was really the center, the center, epicenter of knowledge, the arts, sciences, political thought, philosophy, and architecture. It was the city of great names like Plato and Aristotle, Pericles, and so on. It was, it was known for these things. And Athenian society shared many similarities to our culture here today in philosophy and in worldview. In fact, as I look at the cities that Paul visited, this one struck me as the most similar to what we experience here in Greater Vancouver. Let me share some of those similarities with you. Uh, Athenian culture was very uh, polytheistic, meaning this, they lived in a culture that had many gods, many gods. Uh, And there was, you know, gods of of various uh, phenomenon, gods for various things, and you would go to gods or goddesses for different needs. And Athens was was the city of the gods, Uh, and people worshipped many different gods there. But Athens was also hedonistic. The Epicureans' message was this, the purpose of life is the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of suffering. And I think we can see the similarities in our culture that is quite hedonistic. The desire for pleasure, the avoidance of suffering. And that's playing out in many different ways, both ethically, but also in our day-to-day life. Uh, we, we do long for pleasure. We live for the weekend, for the next vacation, for that next nice meal that's out. You know, driving in our EVs with heated seats and heated steering wheels, right? And it's like, we love Amazon Prime. We don't want to wait. We want it now, Right? And, uh, and it was similar in Athens. Athens also had many Stoic philosophers, and they pre- perpetuated a pantheistic worldview. Now, pantheism is this. It's the belief that there is an abstract God uh, who is in everything, that we are his body and he is the soul. So God is in you and me and everything. Maybe some of you are pantheistic. It's a very common perspective of the world. And you might hear your friends saying, well, I trust the universe, it's a, similar, it's a similar worldview. But finally, Athens was also home to a small min- minority of monotheistic people who believed in one God. They were the Jews, and later the Christians. Sound familiar? Very familiar to the landscape of our culture today and the diversity of beliefs. Now, I recognize even in this room, some of you maybe adhere to some of these beliefs, and it might not be monotheism. And if that's you, you're welcome here. We want you to hear about Jesus. But Pastor Paul today gives us a crash course on how do we as Christians share our faith in a culture like Athens. Uh, he, He begins to show us how it is that we are supposed to execute this. And so, if you're willing... If you're able, one of the things we do around here, we stand in honor of God's word, and I'll ask you to stand as we read Acts chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 16. Paul in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also reasoned with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with his strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things and we want to know more. 
It should be explained that all Athenians, as well as foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Another similarity. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of the altars had this inscription, to the unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. His, hand, his human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath, and he satisfies everything from one man. He created all the nations through the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. No. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed with contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Lord, I pray today that as we look at the example of Paul back on this old story from our family history, that you would help us to be a people who communicate the good news to this culture today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, what did we just read? There's three things I want us to see in the text today. The first is this, Paul reasoned without wrath. The second is this, he contextualized the good news. And the third is this, he represented the person of God. I want to start with this first idea, he reasoned without wrath. You'll notice upon arrival, Paul is not your classic tourist. If you're like me in a foreign city, you usually find yourself snapping photos, taking it all in, enjoying the sights and sounds, uh, you know, taking pictures of your meals, posting them on uh, social media, just overcome by awe and wonder and the culture and the language and all these things. Not Paul. He walks in the, the, the gates of Athens, and what does it say? It says he was deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled. He was not charmed by the culture. In fact, it provoked something in him. It bothered him as he looked around at the idols and the idolatry all over that city. Why was he troubled? Well, the first thing is this. He's a Jew. And the Ten Commandments clearly prohibit having graven images of God and they're everywhere, okay? They're everywhere. The second is this, though. As a Jew, he was not supposed to have any other lowercase g God before the big G God. And this is happening in all sorts of stripes and fashions in the city. So, of course, culturally, he is troubled. But there's a third reason. We know that Paul's heart is to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And he lo- as he looks upon the city, they are so lost. They are so far gone. And it troubles his soul. 
But how did he respond to this troubling feeling that he was experiencing? How did he respond? Well, we see in this text something really interesting. He reasoned with the people. I had an experience um, when I was in Israel with Pastor Mark and a bunch of the other pastors where I had this similar experience of feeling deeply troubled. We were touring around all sorts of sites in ancient Israel and archaeological sites, Hebrew sites, but it was actually some of the Christian sites that caused me and some of my friends to feel deeply troubled. We walked into the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and this is the supposed place where Jesus died and rose from the grave. They've built this massive church over it, and the church is split three ways between different religious denominations. But the thing that troubled me is as I walked in, there was just idolatry everywhere. This right here in the photo is supposedly the place where Jesus rose from the grave, and they've built this huge shrine over it, and you can see the masses of people lining up for hours just to go and touch it. This other picture here, you can see all sorts of idols and Jesus crucified and lamps and candles and all of these different things. And it was really interesting. As we walked around, we were not charmed. In fact, our guide, Avi, he said to us, hey, so you guys want 15 more minutes in here? And all of us collectively yelled, no. No. <laughs> Which was a really weird response, because usually at the sites, we were just like so captured by the scenery and the architecture and the, the ruins. But in this place, we wanted to leave. Now, I don't know if this is the site where Jesus rose and died, <laughs> but, um, but I know that we were deeply troubled by what had taken place in this place. But what we, the interesting thing is this, is that Paul has a similar feeling, but rather than acting out in anger, he begins to reason with the people. Do you see this? Verse 17, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. And this word reasoned is the Greek word dialegami. And there's a lot of meaning in the word. As I say dialegami, you can probably hear the root word of the English word dialogue. He dialogued with the people. He conversed with the people about faith and life and the nature of God. And this is what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to enter into the conversation, not just preach. I found that really interesting. His response to this was not to preach. Usually I'm deeply troubled. I begin to preach, right? Uh, and, uh, but he begins to just converse and reason with the people. You know, one of those places I feel like where we can still dialogue and converse with people about life and faith and life's biggest questions is Alpha. In fact, there's like nearly a revival breaking out at Alpha on last Wednesday. Uh, I heard more than 90 people in attendance. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, we can clap for that. Why not? But here's the thing I love about Alpha is it feels like one of the last places on planet Earth with people from different worldviews and philosophies and ideas can come around a table, share their thoughts without judgment and without wrath. And it's beautiful. And God actually blesses it. And so many people have come to faith through Alpha. I am one of them when I was 16 years old, right? And many of you. There's something powerful about conversing about these things. And this is what we see Paul do in this place. And here's the thing I noted. He reasoned without wrath. I think this is very different than our response oftentimes when we are deeply troubled. In fact, if I'm honest, and this is going to come off as a rebuke because it is, um, we in the Christian community at times seem just so angry lately 
shouting and yelling and typing on Facebook, tweeting. If we could find a soapbox, we'd jump on it. I'll be honest, I'm so discouraged with how I see people in this church and people in the Christian community converse with people online. It is not the way of Jesus. You need to stop. The way of Jesus is love. What did he say? He said, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. It is actually through love and entering into the conversation, entering into people's perspectives, hearing them out, and then dialoguing that we will lead more and more people to Christ. And Alpha is evidence of this. Alpha is evidence of this. When we start to yell at one another, what do we do? We put up walls. And we set up our walls and we, we, we entrench ourselves and we try to protect ourselves from the outside world and their ideas and philosophies. But when we enter into the gates of people's hearts and lives and we listen, oh man, God can begin to do a transformative work. And so friends, we are called to be like Paul, to reason without wrath. It said he conversed with the people at the city, the, the city square, and with those who didn't believe. He reasoned with the Stoic philosophers and the Epicureans. This is what we see Paul doing, and this is what we are called to do. Here's the second thing we see him doing. He contextualized the good news. He contextualized the good news, and this was Paul's MO. He'd do it all the time. Whenever he entered into a culture, he would communicate the gospel in a way that was understandable and accessible to them. He talks about his method. Uh, he, he says this to the Corinthians, when I was with the Jews, I lived as a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And then he says, and when I was with the Gentiles, I did not follow the Jewish law. I too lived apart so I can bring them to Christ. When I was with those who are weak, I shared in their weakness for I could bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Paul was willing to just put, leave it all at the door to try and reach people with the gospel. And we are called to do the same. And we see him doing this in Athens in a couple of ways. He communicates in their language. He gets to know their customs. He studied their religious systems. And he even references their contemporaries. Let me talk about this a little bit more. First, we know Paul would have spoken the language of his listeners. Um, with his past as a Pharisee, he would have spoken ancient Hebrew. He would have spoken the common language of the time of Jesus, which was Aramaic, ancient Arabic. He is a Roman citizen. He likely spoke Latin. And we also know from his letters and from moments like this that he spoke Greek. Paul, as he engaged with the people in Athens, he spoke the language of his listeners. And it's important that we do too. I think sometimes we as Christians, if we spend our time with Christians predominantly, we can start to speak Christianese. Right? Uh, this dialect of English that has a lot of blesseds and thous and dies and all these kind of things. I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. And, um, and the thing is, is that the outside world does not understand our Christian undertones and Christian ideas. And we see that Paul realized that the culture didn't understand it. So he begins to speak about God in their terms and in their language. Our language desperately matters. This really came to light for me last time I was on in Chiapas on a mission trip. I was with Diane, Alyssa, and some others. 
And Alyssa, uh, you know, got up on stage and she was saying some greeting to the church in Spanish. She's amazing at speaking Spanish. But she had a moment uh, of, you know, uh, where, where she kind of messed up some words. And she said, isn't it just so wonderful that we can scratch the Lord today, right? <laughs> and, and the whole room laughs, is just kind of confused. She didn't know what's going on. She just keeps speaking Spanish, right? But, um, our language matters. And when I was in a, a church planning assessment, one of the tasks that we had to do is this. We had to, um, we had to do Christian taboo. And uh, essentially, we had all sorts of theological terms and ideas on cards, and we had to explain it without using the term or without using Christian language. And someone standing over your shoulder with a buzzer is a really good uh, practice to go, can you explain about Christian ideas without using Christian words? I was thinking we should do it like at the pancake breakfast next week. That would be good, right? <laughs> but our language matters. It really, really does. Paul used language and illustrations and examples that people outside the faith would understand. Let me show you how he did this. Uh, here's one example in verse 23. He said, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had the inscription to the unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm talking about. He, he said, as, I'm, as he was walking around Athens, he noticed this altar. And he brings the altar to their attention. Why? To point them to the one true God. Someone famously said it was easier to find a God in Athens than a man, right? And this is why Paul uses this example as he walked around, he said, wow, in a polytheistic world, how can I point them to Jesus? Well, they believed, you know, it, they, they had shrines and altars to every god. And just in case they missed one, they had this altar to the unknown god. You don't want to tick off a deity by not having a shrine to them, right? So this is their thinking. But Paul, through, through using this, is actually using an entry point into their culture that's something accessible and understandable to help everyone in Athens point them and, and to point them to God. And this is the call of the Christian in postmodern world to contextualize our message, to communicate the good news to our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that we come across. You know, to contextualize it. And I was thinking, uh, for those of you who are parents or who've worked with uh, young kids before, we contextualize all the time, okay? My daughter, Emmy, she's two and a half years old. She arrived on this planet as a foreigner. She didn't speak the language. She didn't understand the culture, the customs, right from wrong, blue from green, right? And so we explain these things to her and we contextualize these things to her. Now, Jess and I oftentimes will be eating dinner, my wife's Jessica, and we'll be conversing, and she'll be interrupting us. No, listen to me. No, let me talk, right? And then or sometimes she just starts going slowly, slowly, which is, I think, her way of just saying, please stop talking. Uh, and um, I was trying to help her to understand the concept, which is a little bit complicated, of not interrupting your parents. So I said, Amy, you know in that show Bluey? Okay, and by the way, if you're a parent, you got to get your kids on Bluey, okay? Way better than all the obnoxious kids shows out there. And... Um, but uh, I was like, you know how in Bluey, when Bluey was interrupting his dad, now it's a story about dogs, and his dad is talking to the neighbor Poodle, all right? And Bluey keeps interrupting him. Dad, dad, dad. He says, Bluey, he says, if you want to interrupt me, here's what I want you to do. Put your hand on my arm, and I'll put my hand on top of your hand, and that'll let you know that I, I know you want to talk to me. And then when I'm done talking to Mr. Poodle, I will turn around and talk to you. And I said this to Emmy, and she got it. Because the whole rest of the dinner, 
And there I am, and I'm putting my hand on top of hers. We, this is what we're called to do with our beliefs. We contextualize it so it's understandable and accessible for those who do not believe, and this is what Paul was doing. I want to give you a few examples of how we can do this, okay? Now, I preached this message in Port Moody two weeks ago, so the first one was for them, but you'll get it, and the second one's for you, okay? So here's what I said, um, and I, I kind of wrote this in the language and style of Paul, okay? People of Port Moody, I noticed your love for nature, and as I was walking through your city hall, I saw Port Moody's motto on the wall, blessed by nature, enriched by man. And I thought to myself, yes, nature is a blessing, but who made the natural world? Have you ever considered that maybe the natural world in all of its beauty and complexity actually points towards a creator who made it all? I once read a quote by the author C.S. Lewis that said this, we should follow the sunbeams back to the sun in order that we can enjoy the source of its goodness. I believe that behind the sun and the moon and all the created things in the universe is a God who made it all. He has given us life and breath and everything. And so our response should be to turn to him. Right, this is an example, something that's in City Hall, okay? I, was, I literally saw this. I was walking through City Hall. I saw the city motto of Port Moody, blessed by nature and rich by man. It's an entry point as I have conversations with people to point them to the creator who is by, behind the nature that blesses us. Here's one for you, citizens of Coquitlam. I noticed that every year you gather outside the legion to remember and honor those who served and died to give you freedom. I noticed you stood around this thing called a cenotaph. Ceno means empty and taf means grave. It means empty grave. And it's erected in the honor of those whose remains are elsewhere. Well, I know of another grave that is empty. That once held the body of Jesus who died not just for our country's freedom, but the entire world. And in him, we can have life and freedom and forgiveness. See, this is just an opportunity. Things from our culture that we can point to to help people find Jesus. And so I pray that you would have eyes to see what those things are. And uh, we're coming up on one of them, right? Valentine's Day, the day of love. And God is love there's an opportunity for us to talk about his great love. Here's the big idea. We need to find entry points into our culture and utilize these opportunities to share about who God is and what he is like. And this is what Paul did. But you know what I find interesting? He not only points to cultural uh, things that they would have all known and seen before, but he also doesn't quote scripture directly. Do you notice that in his entire message? He didn't say in if, you know, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 22, it says, right? He, he, he didn't do that. And I think sometimes we, we feel like in our interactions, oh, I always got to quote the Bible. And yes, it is the power of God. Okay, the word of God is the power of God to save. But I find it interesting, especially as a pastor and a preacher, that Paul did not use scripture to communicate. Yes, he pointed to ideas from scriptures, truth from scripture, but he did not quote directly Scripture. In fact, what does he do? He quotes some of their poets. What? Poetry, right? Like, he uses the, the culture of their contemporaries, things that they would have known. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. See, we as Christians can do the same. We can use music and poetry and philosophy to help people understand the faith. It's okay. It's not offside. 
Paul did it, we can do it, right? Like, let's be honest. (laughs) But here's the last thing that we see Paul do. We see that he represents the person of God. Why do I say represents? Because this is a culture that thought they knew who God was. They really did. They thought they'd gotten God down pat. We've got shrines, we have altars, we, we get it, we understand it, we debate it, we have philosophers, all these things. And Paul enters into that worldview, enters into uh, their perspective, and he begins to explain God in terms that they'll understand. And he represents the character of God. Look how he does this in his speech. He says, yeah, I saw this altar of the unknown God, and the God I speak of is the one in whom you've worshipped without knowing. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's saying, God is actually creator. He created everything. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He is ever-present. He is omnipresent. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. My God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need sacrifices at an altar. We actually can't serve him. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. He is the sustainer. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He is sovereign over all of history. See, the Romans and the Greeks, they, they often thought that, you know, things were out of control, that you had to appease the gods and you had to, you had to satisfy their needs and the gods were fighting amongst themselves. No, God is the one who is sovereign over all of that. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Our our God is knowable. He's not an unknown God. He is knowable. He is not sitting at his altar waiting for us to worship. He is pursuing us. Then he says, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He is father. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen. He is irreducible. He can't be reduced to stone and gold and silver. See, Paul represents the person of God to a culture that thinks they understand God. And I will tell you right now, our culture does believe they understand God. And then they have rejected the God of the Bible because they think they've, they get him. And I'll say most assuredly, as I have conversations in coffee shops, as I have conversations with my neighbors, even those who have grown up with a Christian background, they, they've missed somewhere along the way the character and person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And we, like Paul, have an opportunity to represent to the world who our God is. And to, to tell a better story. See, these people in Athens, they were exhausted trying to serve the gods. And he says, you don't have to, it's, it's not about serving God. It's about loving and knowing him. He has created you. He has made you. He has given breath. He is your father. He is your friend. He got to represent who God was to the culture. What happens? What happens this week as you step out to reason without wrath? As you step out and try to contextualize the message, as you try to represent God to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, what's going to happen? Well, probably something really similar to what happened to Paul. Some laughed at him, and that'll happen. I've had people laugh at me or think I'm crazy. Some will want to hear more. They'll say, hey, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. 
could I take you out for coffee or have you over at my house? I'd like to hear more. And some will believe. Some will believe. We see this in the text. In fact, among them was someone named Dionysus. She was named after the god of wine, but she comes to faith and no longer puts her identity in the false gods of her parents, but finds a new identity in Jesus Christ. Someone named Damaris, and among them, other believers. Some people will come to faith. This is why we share our faith. This is why we bring the message forth, because there will be some who will want to hear more, and there will be some who will believe, and we will have the honor, you will have the honor of being a part of that moment in somebody's life. What an incredible honor it would be. And so I want to pray for us as we do this this week. And then following that, we're going to have a moment where we're going to sing together and we're going to come to the table. And I'll explain what that looks like shortly. God, thank you for Pastor Paul. How we're grateful for this crash course on how to share our faith in a culture like ours. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are feeling deeply troubled and if we're honest, angry, that right now the peace of God would enter our hearts. The love of God would fill us up. And out of this place of peace and love, we would enter into the conversation with our friends, our families, members, and our neighbors. I pray right now that you would even maybe bring to mind someone that we can converse with this week. God, help us to have eyes to see and minds that can take the things of our culture that are accessible and knowable to everybody and to use those things to point people to you. And Lord, I pray that we would tell a greater story and represent to the world who you are, the great God that you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this point, we'll come to the table. It's a powerful moment for us as a church on Sunday when we participate in the communion moment. Because Jesus represented to the world who God was. He left his home in heaven. He came among us. He learned language. He used culture to help us to know about who God is and what he was like. And the most profound thing that he did for you and for me is he died on a cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. This is the resurrection that Paul spoke to, spoke of. And when he died on that cross, he took all of your sin, past, present, and future upon himself. In exchange, he gives us life. In exchange, he gives us forgiveness and mercy and grace in our time of need. For some of you who are angry, you can come to the altar today and leave your anger at the altar and receive the peace of Christ, receive the grace of Christ. For some of you who feel like you have failed to share the message with, with your neighbor, you can come to the altar today and receive mercy and walk out of this place as a missionary. And for those of you who would like to believe, even in hearing what Paul had to say about who God is, I want to worship and know a God like that. You today, through faith in Jesus Christ, you too can come to the table. And so I'm going to pray for us now as we respond in a tangible way. We'll get up out of our seats. 
those of you in the middle, you can come to the middle. Those of you on the sides, there's stations on the sides. For those of you in the balcony, if you didn't receive it on the way in, there'll be a station in the back. And so let's pray as we come to the table. God, thank you for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you died for our failures and for our freedom. And today you offer us grace and mercy. Today you offer us peace and joy. I pray that the love of God would fill our hearts in such a prominent and profound way in this moment that as we come to the table, that we could not help ourselves, but like Paul, to go out into the world and share this good news with anybody and everybody. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.